Hello and welcome to the Can Making News podcast. This is episode two. Today's sponsors are the revolutionary Safety Resealable Beverage Can End and the Open Clean Beverage Can End. For more information, please contact Simon at nomis.im. And today I am talking to Simon Jennings, who is the chairman of Nomis Consultancy. He is an advisor to the metal packaging industry. And I'm Janice Osborne, the publisher of Can Making News. Simon, how are you? All well here, Janice. Good to speak to you again. Nice to speak to you. How are you surviving? Yeah, we're, we're doing well. Um, I spent most of my time over the last two years on the Isle of Man, uh, where we've managed to avoid the worst ravages of COVID uh, due to the uh, the closure of our border, which uh, has stopped me travelling. But today I'm speaking to you from Portugal, where I've just arrived. Fantastic. So do you have to quarantine when you go back? Uh, it depends what the rules are when we go back in September. They've probably changed about five times by then. Well, yeah, well, actually, yes, you're probably right, because I'm not sure what we're doing half the time. Anyway, it's great to talk to you, and it's lovely to see you, because we're on Zoom as well. So what I thought I'd ask you first is... Tell me about you. We've seen you present at shows. Tell me a little bit about your background, please, and for our listeners. And how long have you been in the industry? So, Janice, I've worked in the packaging industry virtually the whole of my career. Um, I started off as a Owens, Illinois graduate trainee in the glass industry. I then moved to a company called Rockware, which was in glass, plastics and metals. Most of Rockware is now within our DAR. And about 25 years ago, 26 years ago, I joined Bowwater, which then became Wrexham. And there I did a whole variety of strategy, merger and acquisitions, marketing and general management jobs. I ended up running their business in Asia. And really, I became sort of involved with the uh, the can industry around you know, mid-90s, and especially in 1998 when Rexham bought PLM the Swedish uh, can packaging conglomerate. Okay, so your experience in the canning industry spans over, gosh, how many years is that? About 20 years, 30 years? Uh, too many. Too- <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I, I was referred to as a, a veteran of the industry, which made me feel a bit old. But uh, I'd, I'd say that I've, I've worked mm. around the industry um, and the beverage industry for all the career I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in the beverage can industry because I wouldn't know how to set up a body maker if I've tried. That's interesting. So you couldn't make a can? <laughs> um, no, I could go and find the right people to make cans. That's and, the answer. Uh, I think that's that's the important thing is, is yes. having the right people around you. Absolutely. So that brings me on to my next question, really. And, um, you know, in the last 18 months, we've seen an enormous upheaval in the industry and I wanted to know what your views were on this. Well, my, my view is that some of these trends started a lot longer ago than 18 months ago. I mean, I can remember doing a project in 2015 and seeing that the uh, trends, especially in the US, were that the, uh, the cans were beginning to, to sort of move away from being in a stagnant market, which they'd been for many, many years. And you know, some of the biggest change has happened in the in the US where after, I don't know, 10 or 15, 20 years of more or less stagnant demand, the reduction in the sales of soft drinks cans has sort of stopped. Um, they're sort of slightly growing now. The growth of beer cans continued. And then you've had other 
products coming along and bringing growth. And, you know, in an industry where you need to run virtually at full capacity to uh, to to make any money, um, you know, any change in direction causes some disruption. And uh, in the US, that was particularly the case uh, where, you know, there'd been huge growth over capacity, especially in the in the 2000s. Mm. Uh, that was cut back drastically. And then, of course, any growth will create, a, create an issue. And that, that went all the way back through the chain to the rolling mills. And I think that was the issue that has created a lot of a lot of problems. I mean, obviously, you've had growth, ongoing growth in uh, in the emerging markets, and that's been there uh, all the time. That's you know, especially in China, but you also have had growth in Europe, and the European markets have been growing, you know, steadily over the years. Anyway, you say that the growth has caused uh, a few problems. What are these problems? Can you clarify that, please? Yeah, I think the. I mean, the growth has cause problems because when you're not used to growing, you have a problem because you're set up for everything honed to the bone and you suddenly find, well, I need more engineers, I need more capital. And, you know, businesses take a while to be able to react to that. And, you know, that that created, I think, the, the, the problem. I mean, many of the people who worked in the industry are retiring. So, you know, naturally there was a shortage of people manufacturing industry is not seen as the sexiest thing in the world so you know there was always going to be a shortage of engineers and replacing all the good people who'd you know developed their careers in the 80s and 90s is is an issue and you're suddenly saying in america where you know you may one line might get put in occasionally to suddenly everybody wanting a line and everybody needing the people the equipment yes. and everything to do it it's caused a, a huge problem. And the companies took a bit of time to adjust to that. I think they're beginning to adjust now yes. to it, um, which is which is good. Part of the reason for the growth, I would say, is because finally the world is recognising that the can is sustainable and it's 99% uh, recyclable. Because this has been a huge problem with packaging throughout, hasn't it? Um, I mean, I think people people in the industry have understood that the, the can is... Uh, it's fully recyclable, just as glasses and, you know, many paper products. I think the the thing that's changed is that there has been a sort of a backlash against putting anything and everything into a plastic bottle. Yes. And rather than suddenly people understanding that cans are recyclable, I think our, our customers have known that all the time. It was cheaper for them to put product in PET bottles. And that's been, you know, their go-to product. You know, when you launch a new product, what do you put it in first? Where you put it into a PET bottle. I think what's happened is they're thinking, oh, well, actually, we can put this in a can instead. I think our customers haven't understood the sustainability argument. Maybe their customers are beginning to understand. Yes, that's what I was meaning. So, yes, you can virtually put anything in a can, really, can't you? You can. Yeah, absolutely. This brings me back to the article that we published in December last year, you very kindly wrote a piece for us and you said in it, you believe that the beverage can is unlikely to replace the plastic bottle in its current uh, state. Can you expand on this? Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you take the plastic bottle, plastic bottle has a closure on it, yeah. uh, which means that you can open it and close it. Probably 99.9% of cans don't have closures on them. And 
you know, there, there is, 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 the, is the issue. The, the beverage can, as far as I'm concerned, is the best and has been the best single serve pack for decades. Mm. Um, it's very competitive. It's uh, very user-friendly. It's easy to use. It's uh, recyclable, everything. It's got everything going for it. It keeps the product well. It yes. doesn't matter what temperature it is. It cools down quickly. I mean, just the list goes on. So it's educating the consumer, really, to understand this, isn't it? That's the problem that we have. Well, there's, there's that. But then there's also, okay, then for a single-use product, yeah, I think cans will keep growing. But then there's a large part of the market where you either sip from your container or you use it as a storage container. And for that, you have to have a closure. And yes. I think that's that's why if you want the cans to become, I mean, they're doing pretty well. If you really want them to penetrate the larger part of the market, you're going to end up having a can with a closure on it. And there, and there is, you know, there are products around that do that. Yes. But, you know, they, they're still trying to grow. Mm. Do you think this will happen? Do you think eventually the can will have a closure that can be reused? I believe that now it's more likely than ever. Yeah. Um, I think because people will be prepared to pay for it, I still think getting a an all-aluminium closure for a can is possibly yeah. impossible. Um, as I said, I'm not an engineer, but I, I can't even physically see a way of it working because even screw aluminium screw-thread closures have plastic lines yes. in them. This is the problem, yeah. You will always have to have some element of a plasticized liner within it. It's then saying, how little plastic can you get away with? So this is the problem. Can we do without plastic? And that brings me on to something I watched recently on Netflix. Have you seen the documentary called Sea Spiracy? No, I haven't. But Janice, we can't do without plastics. We wouldn't be able to talk to each other without plastics. I agree. I agree with you. Okay. So there's, um, and I work in the plastics industry. Plastics are recyclable. It just costs more to recycle them than to get virgin materials. So the issue will be... So what you're saying is even with programmes like that, which was actually it was very shocking, and if you have time to watch it, perhaps you should, and maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but what I saw, it was, it was absolutely incredible, the amount of damage that plastics are doing to sea life. Um, and, yeah, whether it's true or not... Um, it's something that is a function yeah. of waste plastics. And, you know, you can recycle plastic, so you have to collect it. And I think the issue is that people will just have to get to the stage where you have to pay for it. Somebody has to pay for it, just as, you know, you have to pay for when your car's scrapped. It is something that will, I think, will come um, because removing plastics from humankind will basically uh, send us back a hundred years um, and you know I've seen little little stories on the internet going through well what would you do without plastics and petroleum products yeah. well we'd be pretty much in the dark ages no I agree with you there and I think most people would too it's all very very interesting though and very debatable this isn't it you know aluminium versus plastics it's very very um it's controversial as well no I think what needs to happen and you know from the, the the package or the the aluminium side and the steel as well is you know you need to keep pushing the recycling uh, you need to keep pushing the fact that recycling these materials is economic and that when you are going to use plastic 
it has to be with the recycling cost built into it yeah. and the waste collection and everything else, mm-hmm. which may change the uh, economics of plastics to certain extent for certain things. And you'll end up using plastics for what you really need to use them for rather than the single-use plastics that have no real benefits. Yes. Um, in Brazil, 98% of cans that are made go back to be made into cans again. So cans are 100% recyclable. As long as the material goes back, it can be made back into cans. And that's called sort of more or less a closed-loop recycling system. Virtually no new metal um, in, in a can. With cans, you can you can make them virtually, you know, 99.9%. Um, same same with glass, by the way. It's, uh, the, and the plastics, you can recycle plastic. And I mean, again, I know this is a, a can industry publication, but you know, plastics can be recycled, and all plastics can be recycled, and they can be recycled back into their original material. It just costs money, and they require investment to do it. So it's just that with Glass and cans, in fact, it's cheaper to use recycled material than new material. With plastics, it's cheaper to use new material rather than recycled material. But there are many plastic containers that you couldn't put in a can, you couldn't put in a glass a container. They're just, you know, physically impossible to do it. Um, so could we have had all the, uh, the vaccinations that we've had without plastic syringes? Well, you could have glass syringes. They're pretty... Uh, unuser friendly so i still believe it's using the right material for the right use and at the right price and just a reminder today's podcast is sponsored by the safety resealable beverage can end and the open clean beverage can end for more information please contact simon at nomis.im yes i mean i personally feel that um i don't think the consumer would object to paying more if they knew they were helping to create a sustainable future with packaging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, Janice, I'm old enough to have uh, seen the uh, introduction of PET bottles, yeah. uh, replacing you know, glass bottles mm. for one litre carbonated soft drinks. And I worked in the glass industry and I happened to be doing the forecasts and I told my boss, your, your business is going to fall over because this is going to happen. Mm. They didn't believe me. Um, and I said, it's going to fall over because the product is better and safer. Mm. So would you want a two-litre glass carbonated soft drinks bottle? And the answer is no. no. Would you want a two-litre can? It'd be very difficult to make. Yes. Um, you know, one-litre cans are, are there, yes. but it'd be difficult to make. It'd be very expensive. And I think, you know, the two-litre PET bottle, even with it, all the recycling costs fully integrated into it would be the right pack so it's it's finding the right package and i think where cans can grow is on the the smaller to medium sized packs with a resealable end on it that works one that's easy to use one that seals properly yes well let's hope we can get to that eventually well i i hope so with my 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 uh, products that i'm involved with yes i was going to say is there anything new on the horizon you'd like to share with us um, well, on the, the safety uh, resealable can end, uh, we're working on that. It's already, in terms of a pressure retention basis, the lightest uh, version around. Uh, we are now looking at a version that's 60% lighter. 
um, you know, or lighter, 60% less plastic in it. And, you know, we're talking to various people about that. Hopefully we'll get traction with it um, and uh, move forward and give give an opportunity for something that is easy to use, you know, fully uh, carbonation retention at 90 PSI. We hope that will come along soon. When you say soon, that brings me on to my next uh, thought, exhibitions and conferences. So would that be ready for MetPAC, for instance, in 2023? Well, we already have prototypes, so uh, we are showing them to people. I mean, I, I think you're I mean to launch, sort of saying, I mean to launch, yes. To yes. launch. Um, at one level, we've already launched it. I mean, we, we have, uh, you know, we decided that uh, we had to uh, talk to some of our major potential customers about this product now as a prototype and a concept. Will it be ready to launch? Well, when we have a, you know, a key customer willing to uh, to work with it, we'll launch it. So uh, hopefully before 2023. Yeah, hopefully. Are, are you missing going to the shows and the exhibitions, Simon? How are you finding it? I always like meeting people. Yes. And um, I think it's one of the key things uh, that's that helped me going along is meeting people and going meeting lots of different people and i think you know the lack of being able to go and see people is an issue especially with new people and in different cultures mm. so yes i am missing them but you know aren't we all missing yes. meeting other people yes, we are. you know it's it's a it's a funda- fundamental human uh, requirement is to meet other people yes i mean zoom has become so commonplace now hasn't it uh, within all industries i wonder if conferences are going to continue in the same format now because of this? Well, I mean, Zoom is great for people that you know. Starting off on a, not, not that I do it very often, a cold call yes. on Zoom is very difficult. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it was always difficult to do a cold calling on a phone. Yeah. On Zoom, it's probably even more difficult because you know, the person can say, oh, I don't like the look of you and switch you off. So, I think it is difficult. I mean, with with Zoom, you can't really speak to large groups of people. I mean, you can do a podcast type thing, but you can't get the interaction of it. I mean, and I, you know, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I still think that uh, meeting in groups is one way of uh, learning what's going on. Um, Talking to people individually, you don't get people bouncing off each other no i agree with you and, and, the, and the metal packaging industry is, is very sociable you know we go to some fantastic shows and exhibitions don't we and a lot of the chats take place later on in the bar you know after the presentations and we just haven't got that anymore have we no so I've, i do i belong to one of the city livery clubs and we've uh, and we do we we have managed to continue with our uh, our, our meetings and everything yes. online so it can be done um Again, it's much easier with people that you know. Can Making News is a major partner of Latin Can, which takes place this year in Mexico on the 22nd to the 24th of September. Will we be seeing you there, Simon? I'm here in Portugal till then. Um, I think uh, the travel is still not easy, but, you know, things change all the time. I mean, coming to Portugal, oh, I'd arrived on the ferry in Spain one day later, I'd have had to do a whole lot of tests. If we'd arrived in Portugal not having our second vaccine, that would yes. have been a problem. So, and the rules change so frequently. So that that is 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 an issue. Yeah. So this has been really interesting, and I'm sure our listeners would like to know a little bit more about you. <laughs> Tell me, who are the top three people who have been the most influential to you in your life? 
I think, you know, the most influential person is my wife, Caroline. Mm -hmm. She's put up with me and uh, put up with me traveling the world and uh, uprooting myself time and time again during my career. And uh, she's kept me, you know, quite grounded, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sort of when you start getting sort of all fancy about things, she said, yeah, does that really matter? <laughs> so I think, you know, that's, that's all. Um, I think then one of my bosses, a chap called Sir Frank Davis, who's uh, now well into his, his 80s, um, when I worked at, at Rockware, who trusted me, um, who let me make mistakes and point me in the right direction and taught me basically that, you know, the most important group of people you need to listen to are the experts. Mm. And so my third choice is the multitude of experts on whom uh, we all depend. Um, And, you know, they don't have to be the, you know, the senior people, it's the junior people, it's the people who who make our industry work. And I think they, you know, learning that those are the important people has probably been the most important lesson I've learned in my career as well. That's interesting. And and just what I wanted to hear. So what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to pursue a career similar to yours? I think, obviously, listening and learning. Um, you'll always be learning. I learn now. I'm in my mid-60s, I'm still learning. Um, I think uh, get around the world. Go to places that you might feel uncomfortable because actually they're great places to go um, and offer huge opportunities. And I think to remember that everybody you meet, every customer that you meet, they may be small, they may be unimportant, but one day they may well be important. And uh, again, I learned that early in my career. And, uh, you know, you suddenly find that somebody you thought, well, no, they don't matter. And uh, you you move jobs and they're your biggest customer. So, uh, yeah. I think those are the things. And, and don't take anything for granted. That's what you're saying, really, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, with the, the pandemic, I think we've all learnt that we can't take anything for granted. No, um, you know, we're all sailing along very nicely and suddenly, whoops, something happens and you know, all the plans go out the window. So where can our listeners get in contact with you if they'd like to speak to you or email you or telephone you? So um, my email address is simon at nomis.im for Isle of Man. And nomis is Simon spelt backwards. If you know, oh, and, I, did, uh, you can, I did not realise that. That's, now I know. <laughs> and also uh, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm a bit careful on LinkedIn with, uh, with uh, picking up on people, but... Uh, that's probably the best ways of getting hold of me. Okay, that's marvellous. Thank you very much indeed. And I've just got one personal question for me, actually. I had a friend who was crazy about um, the Portuguese... Uh, are they cakes, like a vanilla slice? Pestes and latte. What's called? Pestes and latte. The little round yes. cakes. Yes. So, yes. and they're made yes. with vanilla. Are they like sort of a custard tart? They're custard tart. They're called pastéis de nata, and uh, it's one of the most famous products of Portugal, along with port wine and uh, sardines. Yeah. And uh, you know, a good football team, unfortunately, got beaten. Yes. But, um, yeah, uh, they're called pastéis de nata. Okay, well, listen, enjoy them, because I'm very jealous. Uh, <laughs> I will do. I enjoy the sun. And Simon, thank you so much for spending time talking to us, and I hope to see you soon at one of the shows. Okay, well, I hope to meet up soon, Jim. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Can Making News podcast. And a special thank you to our very special guest, Simon Jennings, and also to my team, Adrian Townsend, who is the producer. And thank you from myself, Janice Osborne. And see you soon for episode three. My wife told me, try not say you know, because you're always saying you know. <laughs> yeah, my problem is that when I, I said yup a few times, didn't I? I mean, why I say that? Goodness knows. And also my chair squeaks. <laughs>